Dr Alan Barr, a scientist at Oxford, talks about his exciting work on particle detectors at the Large Hadron Collider, based at the European Particle Physics Laboratory, CERN, on the eve of the world's biggest scientific experiment. Alan, can I just ask about your background? Sure. What, what area of physics are you actually involved in? So I'm a lecturer in particle physics at the University of Oxford, and I've been working in that field for about 10 years. And uh, what I've been doing in all of that time, actually, is building up to this big moment when we're going to turn on the world's biggest experiment. So I, I studied physics, uh, in fact, at Cambridge rather than at Oxford. So that's a, a bit of evil for an Oxford perspective. But I, I studied physics as an undergraduate. I enjoyed it. I came out to CERN to do a project uh, as a summer student. It was a sort of a summer job, and I got absolutely hooked, not just by the mountains and the lake and the environment of Geneva, but by the really interesting and exciting work that was going on here. What the role of particle physics is, is really to explore the fundamental building blocks uh, of the universe, really. What is it that everything is made out of? It's been a great... Uh, discovery of the last hundred years that everything was made out of atoms, but things have gone further than that. I mean, a hundred years ago we discovered things were made out of atoms, but we've discovered that atoms are made out of smaller particles. And the discovery that not only uh, is everything made out of atoms, but that it's the arrangement of those atoms that makes everything different from one another has allowed us to do all sorts of things in material science. I mean, lots of technology is driven from the fact that we understand why things are different from one another and what it is that they're built out of. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that uh, people and plants are made out of molecules, molecules like DNA, and those molecules are made out of atoms. And those atoms are constructed from a positive charge part in the middle, called the nucleus, and electrons which fly around it. But we're actually interested in what happens thousands, in fact millions of times smaller than the size of the nucleus uh, of the atom. We're trying to get down to uh, sizes which are much, much smaller than that and see what things are, are, are made out of at the absolute smallest scales. We're working with the most powerful microscopes in the world. Well, in fact, what we're trying to do is use Einstein's equation, E equals mc squared, to use, uh, we're trying to create matter, which has got mass, m, by getting energy uh, in, the, in, in one spot. So the higher the energy that we can get into one spot, the more massive, the heavier the particles that we can create. And what we're trying to do is create some real heavyweight particles that don't exist around uh, in nature today, but are the sorts of things that may have existed a fraction of a second after the universe began. The more energy that we can produce, the closer back to that uh, initial macro or uh, initial period of time we can get. Your, your, your role is to try and understand uh, how you can measure such a small particle that makes up uh, the building blocks of, uh, of the world. That's right. Well, it's a, it's a funny sort of a microscope we have because what we get out of it are pictures not really of the things that we want to see, but of the results of smashing things together. Uh, when, when you smash things together, you get all sorts, of, all sorts of gubbins coming out. So it's a bit like we smash together particles called protons, but what we get out aren't bits of proton, but they're bits of all sorts of different types of particle. Uh, 
and it's a bit weird. It's uh, it's something that nature does for us. It's a bit like um, uh, being surprised that whenever you smash together apples, you don't get bits of apples out, but you get bananas coming out and, and oranges and, and all sorts of everything that's been produced by nature. So nature provides, it's, it's very bountiful. It produces all the different types of particles to us that we can reach at that energy. And what we want to do is to try to reconstruct based on all of these weird and wacky and different types of particles that come zipping out of our collisions, what happened right there at the tiny point where the particles collided. The Large Hadron Collider is um, a massive experiment to really look closely at what are the smallest possible particles that make up uh, the atoms. That's right. We're, we're trying to work out what are the smallest things that everything is made out of. But it can do more than that. It's a bit of a time machine as well because it tells us what the universe was like a tiny fraction of a second after the universe began. And it's also a way of creating weird and freaky and exotic types of matter that we don't, uh, which we haven't explored so far. So one of the big mysteries in physics at the moment is that something like 95% of the universe is not made out of the everyday atoms that make up trees and plants and bicycles and everything around us, but is made out of something completely different. And so far, that dark part of the universe, these invisible things that we can't see, that missing 95% of the universe, really is a, 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 almost a complete mystery. We haven't been able to find out what it's made out of, but we believe that we will be able to make some of the particles that... Is really bridging theoretical questions that have perhaps been around for a long time in physics with some actual practical experimental results. Is that, is, is that right? That's right. Well, there's, there are ideas. I mean, I, a theory is really an idea, uh, an idea with some mathematics behind it. And so there are these theoretical ideas, these equations, this mathematics that suggest ways in which the universe might behave at these very, very high temperatures or in its very, very early stages. Uh, but unfortunately, well, there are lots of ideas. And what we need to do, and this is what science is all about, is to test which of those ideas are right and which of them are wrong. And the way to test them is to do an experiment in the laboratory. And that's really what, uh, what CERN's collider is all about, what the Large Hadron Collider is all about. It's testing to see which of these theoretical ideas about how the fundamental constituents of the universe behave are right and which ones are wrong. Is it more than just one experiment? Are you asking, uh, are you doing a number of experiments uh, in, in, in this particle accelerator? It's really better to think of uh, this accelerator as, as an experimental facility more than a single experiment. There's, there, there are many, many, many different things that we, we wish to explore with it. Um, some of the fundamental questions are, uh, why, what is this dark matter made out of? Can we answer that question? We'd also like to know more about the differences between matter and antimatter. We want to know why things are heavy. Uh, we, we haven't got a very good explanation for mass at the moment, strange though that may seem. Uh, and that's, those are just three of many different types of questions that, that this machine will be able to access. And it will, we expect, produce, produce answers to many, if not all of them. Could you, could you tell me a little bit more um, about the actual engineering, the actual physical equipment that makes up this fantastic laboratory for particle physics. Sure, so this is the biggest uh, 
it's not just the biggest particle physics laboratory in the world. It's not just the basic biggest experiment in the world. It is the biggest machine in the world for doing anything of this sort, um, or, or indeed the biggest machine in the world at all. It's a tunnel which is underneath the ground. It lies on the Swiss-French border, and it's 27 kilometers long. So it's a, a circular tunnel. It's a, it's a bit like the, the, the circle line in London. Uh, but for a rather different purpose. And it's about the same dimensions as the circle line in London. Uh, but rather than trains going around it in both directions, we're sending these bunches of protons, these charged particles around it in both directions. So it's 27 kilometers long. The particles are traveling around very, very close to the speed of light. In fact, they're traveling at 99.999999% of the speed of light. And they're smashing into each other headlong at four different points around this uh, around this tunnel. Now, in the points where they collide, there are uh, photographs, if you like, taken of them by uh, photographic equipment, but it's not normal photographic equipment. It's uh, immensely complex and high precision equipment that can take uh, 40 million pictures per second of all of these collisions which are going on. And the, the pieces of equipment themselves are enormous. They're about the same size as the nave of St. Paul's Cathedral. So they're, they're gargantuan uh, caverns underground, and they're enormous pieces of apparatus which are used for these. We'd love it if it were easy to do it on a, on a bench and on a desktop, but the enormous energies that we're trying to create can't be done in any other way. The, 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 I've come across the phrase atom smashes. Uh, and that's basically the, the protons themselves collide and is a huge amount of energy released at that point. What, what we produce are not individual collisions which have an enormous amount of energy themselves. Each proton, each of these particles which collide, has only got about the same amount of energy as a flying mosquito. But the unusual thing is that all of that energy is packed into an infinitesimal, very, very small size. And so the, the temperature inside that tiny volume gets very, very hot. And it's those conditions that we wish to replicate, those, those conditions of the early universe which we're trying to replicate in those collisions. There's a, a huge 27-kilometer uh, tube almost underneath the ground. We, that tunnel was actually recycled. It was used before for a, for a previous experiment. And so we haven't had to dig that one again. That's good. The civil engineering has been recycled for that. There have been other tunnels dug. So there's been about uh, probably about somewhere between five and 10 kilometers of new tunnels, which have had to be dug. And these enormous caverns in which the experimental apparatus for the, 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 the detection live have had to be dug as well. And some of those have been enormous engineering feats in themselves. If you can imagine what it's like digging a cavern underground that's 60 feet by 60 feet by 80 feet big, big enough to hold the, the nave of a cathedral, and with suspended ceiling, while all around it, precision experiments have been going on while that, while that cavern was being dug. The civil engineering behind it um, was immense. And of course, the mechanical and electronic and electrical engineering going into all of the equipment that was installed afterwards is, is such an enormous feat as well. So uh, perhaps a naive question, but you've managed to make these protons fly round. How do you, how do you get them to, to fly in such a way that they can collide when we're talking about such uh, infinitesimal, tiny uh, measurements? 
So the chances of any individual proton colliding into any other individual proton are small. So what we do is we just send a lot of protons around in one direction, a lot of protons around in the other, and we expect on average that about 20 of them will hit each other uh, every time those bunches of protons uh, cross each other. And in fact, they go round and around 11,000 times per second. And so there's lots of opportunities for them to hit each other. You, the, the experimental work that you're involved in, is, is, that, is that the ATLAS project? Can you tell me a little bit more about ATLAS? Sure. So ATLAS is the, it's the, biggest, uh, the biggest experiment at CERN. It's a general purpose experiment. It sits at one of these four points where the protons are going to smash into each other. And we're uh, trying to answer with this ATLAS experiment some of these most profound questions. We're interested in the questions as to where where mass comes from, is, where is, is sorry, the, is that the elusive Higgs boson uh, particle? Well, <laughs> it 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 may well be. So there's there's a theory which says that mass is generated by this Higgs boson named after Peter Higgs from University of Edinburgh, but we haven't seen it yet. And as scientists, we should therefore be sceptical. And until we see it, we don't know whether that's what's causing mass to be generated or something different. Now, most people probably think that it is the Higgs boson and that we will see it. But it's not guaranteed that that's the case. And so we have to have our eyes open to whatever else it might be that's doing that job. The good thing is that we've got enough energy in our particle smasher that we're guaranteed that whatever is doing the job of generating the mass of these particles, we will find. So really, you're, you're throwing these fantastic detectors at the, at the problem of understanding what actually occurs when those two photons collide. That's right. It's a bit like trying to reconstruct how uh, a car engine works by looking at the debris from lots of collisions. It's not you know, the reverse engineering is a very difficult job to do, but if you if you have enough of them to look at, then you can start to see how uh, you can start to understand how things work. Can you tell me a little bit more about these detectors, uh, the, the measuring devices? Uh, how many are there, and how do they work, and what are they actually measuring in terms of information, and what they, sure. what are they looking at? So what. The job of the detecting uh, apparatuses, these, these are the things which are the experiments, uh, is to take pictures 40 million times a second of each time some of these proton bunches smash into each other and all of the debris comes out. And we need to know the energy of the particles that come out, we need to know what type of particles they were, and we need to be able to trace them back to form tracks which trace them back to the original place where the collision occurred. We need to do that immensely quickly because the, the, uh, we've only got 25 um, millionths, no, 25 billionths of a second before the next collision comes along. And so there's an enormous job to measure, make these measurements very, very quickly, but also very, very precisely. It's amazing that this uh, piece of kit, which is the size of, 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 a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a cathedral nave, as I was saying before, it's, it's 20 meters long. Uh, can take, uh, can measure the, the position of a particle that passes through to within the precision of a human hair. So, so is part of the, uh, the, the, the reason why the experiment is, it took so long uh, to build and is so big and expensive, the fact that it's such a difficult task uh, to do that measurement in such a small, small amount of time? That's right. I mean, it's a, it's a hugely ambitious project. 
no one has ever tried to do anything on quite this scale before. The energies are seven times higher than have ever been produced by any laboratory uh, uh, before. And had it been something that was easy to do, we would have done it already. It's, it's, it's the prototype, it's the working model, it's the only one that exists in the world. And so producing something like that, building something like that, is always a case of trying something and seeing what works. And you expect things to go wrong because if it's the first time you try to do something, it's guaranteed that things will go wrong. Of course, what people try, what we do is we make sure that we understand the problems, we fix them as quickly as we can, and we move on to the next thing. And it's an immense achievement that CERN has been able to do this. And it's uh, it's a collaboration that's been put together by CERN and by lots of universities, of course, including many in the in the UK, including Oxford. So what's happening? Uh, this week is, th is that on Wednesday, for the first time, we'll try to thread one of these beams of protons, these, these, these uh, beams all the way around this 27-kilometer ring. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. You can imagine that trying to steer particles which are traveling at almost the speed of light uh, around a ring that's 27 kilometers long uh, is not the world's easiest job. But uh, the CERN beam specialists have got uh, great caliber, great, uh, great speciality in this, and, and I've got every confidence that they'll be able to do it. So, of course, steering a beam round is the first thing to do. Then we need to steer a beam round in the opposite direction as well. And then we need to make them smash into each other head on. And, of course, when that happens, that's when the even more exciting things start to happen. We can, we can see the results of the collisions and we can start trying to understand uh, nature at its fundamental scales. So Wednesday, 8.30 in the morning, will be, we hope, uh, and during the day, the, the first threading of this beam around. After the, the beams are made to come into collision, after we make them hit each other, then we still will have to make sure that we understand our detection apparatus as well as we can and make sure that all of that is operating as well as possible. And so that will be a job of commissioning and, and, and working out. We expect that overall it will probably be something like six months to a year before the first really solid uh, experimental results, things which we are sure about, enough about that we are ready to, to publicize will we'll, we'll be, we'll be able to be produced. Because inevitably, whenever you do something for the first time, the first thing you see is that bits of kit are not working as you expected them to do. There's an enormous job of trying to calibrate all of these very sensitive and precise bits of detector equipment. And it's only whenever that job is done that we can be sure that we understand the science that's coming out. Okay, so, so it really is going to be quite a, a long-term project that's going to last years and years uh, to, to get all the information from, the, from, from this large experimental situation. That's right. So it's, it's the, the first results will come out in probably something like a year's time. The experiment uh, and the accelerator will run for at least a decade, possibly longer, and we want to get value for money out of this machine. And the more times you smash things into one another, the more interesting and rare events that you can be sensitive to. So those, uh, the, the experiment itself will, will run for at least a decade. And after that, well, that depends on what we find. It may be that we want to upgrade the, the machine at CERN. It may be that a completely different machine is what's needed to get that next step along the path of understanding nature. At the moment, we don't actually have enough information at our fingertips to know what exactly will be the next step. 
but hopefully very soon we will do. Alan, what, what particular area are you, are you concentrating on? What, what are you looking for and, and what, what, you, what are you excited about in, in, in the next few days? Well, one of the things that's really nice to see is that the piece of equipment that we uh, assembled in the basement of the physics department in Oxford is actually now uh, installed, working, and taking some practice snapshots in preparation for the first collisions. Uh, so it was only... In fact, uh, a couple of days ago, so only just a, a, really a week before the, the, the grand turn on day that we managed to get that bit working as we'd hoped. So that's good news. But when everything's up and running, the thing that I really want to do uh, is to try and understand whether or not we're producing particles of dark matter in this accelerator, which we may or may not do. And if we do, to work out what it is that they're made out of. So producing something is one thing, understanding what it's made out of is another. And so if in, if in, in, our, in our hopes and dreams uh, are, are realized and we do produce dark matter at this machine, then there'll be an immense program of trying to understand what it's made out of, uh, how it relates to what's going on in the cosmos, how it relates to theories of the physics of the early universe. So there's, there's an enormous amount of stuff to find out. Can, can you tell me a little bit about what, what's it actually called, the, the piece of equipment you, you made in Oxford? We built the semiconductor tracker, uh, which is a, a silicon detection device, which measures the positions of particles as they come out from the collision point. Uh, we put together four layers of precision silicon electronics, and we assemble those together, in fact, with a robot, which was a very clever and neat bit of kit. So is is this the, is this similar in a way to the cam a camera taking a snapshot? It is. It's a bit. It's a bit like your your digital camera. In fact, it's it's a bit like a it's a six megapixel a six megapixel digital camera. But the difference is that this is a six megapixel digital camera that can take forty million pic pictures a second, which is rather faster than your finger can generally go. Okay. Can you can you tell me? Um, a little bit about the kind of computational aspects of, of the data that you're going to record. I believe it's called the grid. That's right. The, our experiments produce so much information that no single computing facility in the world is capable of doing the processing that we need to understand them. So we produce we produce uh, terabytes of, of, of data nonstop, much more than you can fit onto your hard disk or onto your laptop. And we need really specialized computing equipment to understand how uh, to, to analyze it. In fact, it's for that reason that CERN has been at the forefront of a lot of computing uh, since its inception. Now, we have devised, uh, particle physicists around the globe have devised a special way of doing their computing analysis, which is called the grid. It's based on linking computers together all around the world, a bit like the internet, but not just for sharing information, but actually for sharing processing of uh, number crunching, if you like, of all of this immense amount of data. And so the idea is that the, the, the person who wants to find out whether there's a Higgs boson or not, or work out what dark matter is, will send off their little uh, computing analysis job. It will run somewhere else around the world. They need not know where, and they'll be presented with the results of it afterwards. And it's remar working remarkably well at the moment. It's used not just by particle physicists, but it's also used by uh, meteorologists trying to forecast weather. It's used by people 
trying to understand which drugs might be effective and which ones should be used for clinical trials. So it's a, a tool that's been put together by particle physicists but is now very widely used in the entire scientific community. So, so perhaps another offshoot of, the, of, of the, the scale of the project has been uh, trying to understand how computers can be linked up to deal with large amounts of uh, data. It, would, would, would that in any way help with trying to uh, model things like climate change and uh, how the atmosphere changes over time? Indeed, indeed, and, and, and climatologists and meteorologists have been using the computing power and, and, and the tools that we've put together to, to make those predictions, which is great to see. Uh, Alan, can I ask you a little bit about um, some of the risks involved in doing this kind of experimental physics? Is, is it true in any way that there is uh, a risk of perhaps all of this energy somehow exploding and Absolutely not. <laughs> Each collision contains about the same amount of energy as a mosquito flying into another mosquito. So the amounts of energy are minuscule. What's special about what we're doing is we're squeezing that energy into a very small volume. Now, uh, so for that reason, it's, it's absolutely safe. The, the other thing, the other reason why we know that things are safe is because although the this kind of conditions that we're producing, these sorts of really high energy uh, collisions between particles, have not been tested in the laboratory before, and that's the reason that we are really excited by it. In fact, nature has been doing this experiment itself ever since the, uh, since the Earth began. So, so since the Earth was formed, particles with higher energies than the ones that were colliding together have been colliding into the atmosphere of the Earth. And, you know, the Earth is still around now. Uh, the experiment has been done something like 100,000 times before in the, in the Earth's history through all of these other collisions that have happened. And so we're really not doing anything new. The difference is that we're doing it in a controlled environment where we can observe the results. Has there been a formal review of the experiment to make sure that it is safe? That's right. CERN takes uh, all of its safety very seriously indeed. CERN has recently published a, a review of all of the possible safety hazards that people have dreamed up in their wildest imaginations as things that might go wrong and has found no risk whatsoever. There are uh, hypothetical theoretical situations which are believed to be unlikely in which uh, some interesting new particles may be produced. But even if those are produced, they're still guaranteed to be absolutely safe. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about the, the different range of experiments? We, um, they've got these strange names like ALICE and ATLAS, the, the main, the main uh, collision detector uh, experiments. Sure. So uh, the, the two uh, specialised detectors, uh, uh, ones which have got uh, sort of particular remits, are one called LHCB. It's called B because it's looking for a particular type of particle which has been called the, the, the beauty or the bottom sometimes uh, quark. And what they're trying to do in that experiment is to understand the differences between matter and antimatter. We know that there's lots of matter around us, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's nemesis, antimatter, we don't see around in everyday life. And that tells us that while there may have been equal amounts of matter and antimatter produced in the early universe, they certainly aren't equal amounts around now, and they're interested in understanding why that is, where does that asymmetry between matter and antimatter come in. And that's a sort of specialised job, and they've got a specialised detector to do that particular thing. Then there's another specialised detector, which is called ALICE, and they're 
the collaborators in that experiment are particularly interested in trying to recreate the the gooey, heavy, primordial soup which would have existed in the very early, very hot universe, uh, a, a tiny fraction of a second after the universe came into creation. And there, they've got a, a detector which can measure collisions of not just protons, but also measure accurately the collisions between much more complicated uh, uh, beasts like lead ions and gold ions being smashed into each other, and then the, with with those more complicated beasts, you can with more, more complicated particles colliding into one another, you can get a sort of slightly larger volume of this very high temperature, and you can work out what's happening in a, in, in, a, in a grander scale. The two general purpose detectors are called Atlas and CMS. CMS stands for compact muon solenoid, but it's not really compact at all. I mean, it, it's, it's something like five stories high. So uh, so compact is, a, is, a, is only compact relative to Atlas, which is uh, twice as big. Now, those two experiments are really direct competitors, one against the other. They're trying to answer questions like, where does mass come from? What is dark matter made out of? So uh, while, in fact, there are there are lots of institutes from all over the world working in these uh, experiments. And of course, that's, it's a great reason to, to come to CERN is that you can meet interesting people from all over the world and you, get, you can meet collaborators from all over the world. And you get to travel and, and do that. Um, but it's also possible to make a real uh, individual contribution. And we have some of our graduate students from Oxford. In fact, there's nearly uh, a dozen people from Oxford out here at the moment trying their hardest to try and make different bits of the apparatus work. And taking really key rules, crucial rules in particular parts, either of the analysis of the data that we expect to find or even putting together and constructing different bits of the detector. Uh, now, the, the two experiments which are competing against each other are of the Atlas and CMS experiment are about the same uh, size of collaboration. They're intensely competitive against each other in a rather friendly, but uh, uh, with friendly rivalry, but they, they don't want to be the one who confirms the discovery of the Higgs boson. They want it to be the one who finds the Higgs boson. And so you can imagine that not only is there a lot of pressure to make sure your results are right, but there's a lot of pressure to make sure that your results are the first ones out. And that makes it really exciting and, and uh, interesting thing to work on at the moment. That sounds amazing. I mean, can we can we step a little bit back uh, to look at the Oxford connection? Oxford has been involved uh, for more than 15 years in the Atlas uh, experiment. They were involved uh, in the research and development. Uh, people were trying to work out whether it was the right thing to do or not, whether it was the right sort of uh, experiment to be involved in. And when we decided that we did want to be part of this collaboration and we did want to be involved in it, then the logical next thing was to say, okay, well, we're going to help build it then. And we have specialist uh, engineers who work in electronics. We've got specialist engineers who work in mechanical engineering. And so we were involved in the design, the construction, the assembly of this precision silicon tracker called the, 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 uh, the, the uh, semiconductor tracker of Atlas. And what... What we actually did was uh, about five years ago, we received bits of uh, silicon with chips attached to them from all over the world, from Japan, from around Europe, from America, and we assembled them together in the basement of the Dennis Wilkinson building, which is just off Keeble Road, 
uh, near Banbury Road in Oxford. Uh, and in the guts of that concrete building, we spent more than a year putting together as carefully and precisely as we could the heart of the Atlas detector, the, the, the piece of the, the detector that measures the tracks coming through. And that was uh, a, a difficult job because we once that piece of uh, silicon, uh, once that detector is installed within Atlas, it's completely inaccessible. We can't fix anything anymore. And so we had to make sure, whenever we were putting it together, that it worked, it worked well, and that every single bit of it was working as well as we possibly could. So it was a real uh, careful job of testing all of that stuff. This, this sounds a, bit, a little bit like the kind of work you do when you're creating a rocket to go off to, to, to the other side of the, the universe. I mean, is, is, it, is, is it difficult science? It, it's, it's done on a scale and with an ambition that has never been done before. No one has tried to build detectors uh, these, this big to take uh, photographs this rapidly of collisions with this amount of energy. There's no such thing as buying your detector off the shelf. You have, if you want to build something like this, you have to not only design it yourself from scratch, but usually build it yourself as well. And so you need to be the world experts in doing such a thing. No one can tell you how to do it. You have to find out yourselves. What's wonderful about Oxford is we have this amazing mix of people. We've got a great physics department. And it has not just experts in electronics and mechanical engineers, but it's also got people who do particle physics experiments. And it's also got some of the world's best particle physics theorists. So I could be spending my morning talking to some electronic engineers about what's the best way to make a particular piece of electronics work, and then spend the afternoon chatting to someone from the theory department about extra dimensions of space and time. It's an amazing varied job from that perspective. It's often difficult for um, people who haven't had a scientific background to understand some of the more strange theories that come out of uh, theoretical physics. Could you, could you tell me a little bit about the, the, back, the history and background of theoretical physics? Well, uh, the, the science that we are most involved with is the science of relativity and the science of quantum mechanics. And in fact, special relativity, which was dreamt up by uh, Einstein in uh, 1905, and quantum mechanics, which was uh, produced by a variety of different people, in fact, about the same time. Now, those two sciences are, they're, they're now in, in reaching their maturity, if you like. They're 100 years old, and they're, they're not just uh, forefront uh, science now, but they're used in all sorts of technology. So your computer, your iPod, anything that you're, uh, you're listening to this uh, broadcast on will, will be will rely entirely on our knowledge of quantum mechanics for its operation. We wouldn't be able to produce such devices without it. It's also true that Einstein's special uh, theory of relativity, the, the theory which connects space and time together, is, uh, is, is used day to day by physicists at CERN. It's, it's something that we, we almost take for granted now. But the particles which we're shooting around our ring, they're traveling so fast that they've got 7,000 times heavier. Their, their energy has become 7,000 times, 7, times bigger than their mass. And also time has slowed down for them. So we can really see the effects of space and time warping into one another uh, all the time whenever we do our experiments. Particles which are produced in our collisions, 
live longer because of uh, uh, Einstein's relativity than they would do otherwise. And so we use that whenever we're trying to distinguish them from one another inside our detection equipment. So our undergraduates will be learning about quantum mechanics and will be learning uh, about relativity, which are two of the sort of cornerstones of, of modern physics. Uh, now, towards the end of their course, they can learn a bit more about some of the more speculative theories that we are testing at CERN. Things like string theory, uh, the possibility that there might be extra dimensions of space, uh, the possibility that gravity, the gravitational force, which is actually, uh, contrary to what people might think, one of the least understood forces in nature, might become strong and that special particles called gravitons, hypothetical particles called gravitons, might be produced. Uh, these are all uh, none, none of these are textbook science yet because they're they're things that are really in the forefront, but they're they're things that will be tested in the next few years at CERN and will become textbook very soon after that. We'll be able to uh, sorry, I was going to say the the scientists in Oxford, of course, are working with these uh, theories day in and day out, working to test them. And so we're right at the cutting edge whenever it comes to understanding what's going on at the highest possible energies and at the forefront of theory. That sounds great. Alan, can I ask you what you, actually, what you yourself are, is, are actually going to be doing on Wednesday? What's, what, what's the program of activities for yourself? Well, on, until Wednesday, I'm going to be frantically trying to get our silicon tracker working as well as we possibly can. It's going to be very embarrassing if the media all arrive on Wednesday morning and uh, we're not able to take any pictures because uh, something went wrong with a bit of our electronics. So until then, I'm going to be making sure that that's working. On Wednesday itself, I'm hoping that I'll be able to take a break and just have a chat to the, to the world who's coming to visit, tell them what we're trying to do and explain our science to them. Alan, would you, would you be willing to, to um, have another interview? We'd love to, and I'm sure things will be even more interesting and exciting as time goes on.